We're uh, believing that God is using uh, Pastor Don and Pastor Sue, even as we speak right now, in mighty ways as they uh, as they uh, sh- share God's word to um, a church in San Leandro area. So we're just uh, let's keep continue to lift them up and always miss them when they're not here with us. But I get to preach today, and uh, I uh, I also get to serve alongside. Some great leadership, Pastor Sean and Dana and Pastor Don and Sue, and just all, so many great volunteers and leaders in this church. I'm just blessed. My wife and I are blessed. Eve is here and also serves in many different ways, and um, we're, just, we're just so grateful to be part of what God is doing here. And um, you are a church that has a history of making an impact for the kingdom, uh, throughout the community, throughout the world. And so um, we're just giving our youth, uh, a couple months ago, we gave our, our youth a taste of what it means to go and to be, uh, be sent and to be part of a team. Um, and many of these youth have been, it was their first time going on a missions trip to the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. So since some of you, many of you have supported and, and prayed uh, us through that time, um, we were also part of the team that Pastor Sean and Dana led. Um, we just want to share the, uh, a little video with you right now. Go ahead and roll that. Hi, my name is Alicia. Um, I'm 14. And San Francisco, I think, was my second missions trip, and it was really fun. Yeah. I'm Zach, and I'm 14. And I've been on a few mission trips, but this was my first one to San Francisco. My name is DJ Orich, and I'm on my first mission trip to San Francisco. Hi, my name is Haley, and I'm 15. This is my first mission trip that I've been on through Solid Rock Rides Ministry. Hello, my name is Emerson. I'm 13 years old. Um, YWAM was my first missions trip. I'm Emma Tabor Robbins. And I went on my first missions trip to San Francisco. Hi, I'm Victoria, and I'm 12 years old. And the San Francisco trip was my first mission trip that I ever have been on, and it was really fun. We served hot chocolate to homeless people, and we helped around the community. One of the things that God really showed me was to appreciate what I have, because just going out there and seeing that many people, not really have much it really opens up your eyes so I thought that was really cool to see I mean to to just help and serve was um, amazing too and it was a really good opportunity I felt like it taught me to like help people more and that I should be thankful and yeah to pretty much be thankful we like share God's word and show them that they are loved by people and not that like they're not alone and stuff it showed me that like I'm pretty sheltered at my house and that I'm really fortunate for what happened for what I have in my life and that those people are less fortunate and it doesn't make them less of a person. We're all the same people and that if they just had a little love, they probably wouldn't be where they are. There was this woman who I actually talked to during the um, restaurant part and she was just really kind and She was homeless and I was talking to her and she asked me what I was interested in and one of those things is art and she just like told me that she'd be back in five minutes and then she came back and then she actually brought me like watercolors because I had told her I was interested in that and that really just like 
showed me even though they don't have very much like they're so they're really humble and they're just most of them are just super kind and like they're willing to share or give even though they don't have a lot and that was probably one of my favorite parts I think it impacted me by by getting a better connection with God and knowing that uh, people have uh, worse problems than I do. It taught me that I should always be kind to everybody around me. I talked to a guy named Carrie for a long time during one of the lunches and we just sat and talked and he just told me about his family and his living situation and it just I don't know, it made me feel like I have so much and that I really didn't need anything but my family. At first I wasn't sure um, but I was kind of scared but now I I love it. Like I love serving people and praying over them and hearing their stories and I guess it's just really um, eye-opening so yeah. Awesome. Awesome, <clears throat> incredible what God does in this exposure as, there be, as the youth were exposed to this. I remember the first night we went out and, and um, uh, served hot cocoa uh, to the homeless out on the streets of Tenderloin District and, and there was a lot of fear and intimidation and, and boy, the second night it was just like, let's go for it. There was a total just shift and just, just being exposed to different places and new people is, is different people who are different than you is so important. Um, and it's such a God thing. It's such a Jesus thing to do that, right? Uh, to be part of, uh, to be part of other people's lives who may be to, to, in, to enter into the world uh, of other people um, in that way. And so it really made an impact and you guys are making an impact. And we, we really expect just to, as a, as the days we're setting goals around more, of things like this. Uh, it might be Mexico my, my next time. Who knows, it might even be Tajikistan or Turkey, right? Yeah. So, but we, uh, and not just for youth, but but for the uh, for you guys as well out there um, who wanna get plugged into short-term mission trips. So we wanna uh, set some goals around that in the coming year and see how that can happen. Because we believe that, you know, even though Solid Rock is making an incredible impact all over the world, through its giving and, and sending and, and supporting uh, ministries both here at home and all around the globe, we can do more. And uh, we want to see God's kingdom uh, just impact our world. We want to impact our world for Jesus. So thank you for, for being on board with that. Um, I'm going to talk um, about when the way is hard today. <laughs> 
and uh, share with you some thoughts around this. This is not an easy subject or topic to, to talk about, in, I think, in the Western uh, church and in in, in a lot of Christian contexts where um, we don't hear a lot about difficulty and suffering and how God uses that to forge and shape our lives and our character. And, um, but I think it's part of the whole gospel. It's part of the whole counsel of God. It's part of the word of God. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. And um, if we're missing out on that piece and, and failing to be exposed to teaching around that and, and exposed to what it looks like when we go through our own difficulties and trials and, and inevitably they come, what, how do we respond? How do we see God? How do we relate to God? Um, and how do we also enter into other people's struggles as well and how can God use us in those ways so restoration and renewal which uh, has been a theme as as in a lot of our messages lately pastor Don has been and sharing a lot about restoration and renewal but how many of you know restoration and renewal come out of come at a price uh, we see that in the example of of Jesus and those who have those who are faithful who have um, who have gone before us they paid a price, um, and uh, certainly in Christ's example, uh, he paid the ultimate pr price. But the 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 thing is, in our in our in a lot of uh, Christian contexts, uh, in our culture, um, the thinking kind of goes like, "Well, Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for my freedom and my forgiveness, and and now his main job is that of a cosmic dispenser of blessings." And when we lack something or experience pain and suffering, all of heaven must be in chaos, needs to recover ASAP so I can get back to normal. Uh, and what is normal, though, I ask? <laughs> what is normal in the Christian life? And um, we see many people going through pain and suffering and difficulty. And if we don't have an understanding, an idea of what might be God's purpose in that, we really don't have a, the full picture of what the kingdom is all about and what normal is. Um, what if God's normal is to deepen relationships with, deepen his relationship with us and bring a continual flow of restoration and renewal into our lives through hardship, through suffering, through difficulty? What if God's part of God's plan is that? David said it like this. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In the presence of my enemies, in the presence of opposition, in the presence of, of struggles and trials, Jesus, God prepares a table I love that picture of God preparing a table for David in the presence, not after the fact, not before it, but in the midst of it, in the middle of it, in the middle of opposition, God prepares this table because, and a table, and especially as you look at biblical, you look back on biblical culture, a table set, it's all about relationship, right? Fellowship, breaking bread together. God wants to be with us in the most intimate way through opposition. And God wants to deepen that relationship with, with us through that. Paul put it this way. He said, I want to know Christ. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know Christ. Do you see the similarity there, the, the parallels there, there uh, in terms of what David in Old Testament times would say, and Paul saying, I want to know Christ and that fellowship that comes through sharing in his sufferings. There's a missionary named uh, Adoniram Judson. Um, he, um, and let me just say, you know, spending time and energy attempting to understand the people that we're ministering to is extremely important. How many of you would agree to, to actually have some degree to be a student of those that we're trying to reach, to understand them? That's what, as we, over for 20 years, have done cross-cultural ministry and, and served overseas in a lot of contexts. That's a big part of being effective effective right understanding who you're ministering to understand who you who your audience is um add an iron judge and he he uh, you know in history is filled with great examples but using him him as an example it's been over 200 years since adoniram and ann judson's departure for burma which is now myanmar and originally they set out for india but circumstances took them to Burma, and their struggle to learn the language, grasp the culture, and integrate the Christian faith into this environment was monumental. The hardships they endured included losing their original missions agency because of their belief in baptism by immersion. The death of his wife Anne, their children, and some teammates, persecution, prison, and depression, in spite of this, Adoniram endured and learned the Burmese language and culture. What legacy did he leave because of this commitment? As best as can be determined, there were 25 believers at the time of his death, 42 years after he began his ministry. However, because of his commitment to understand the culture and learn the language, he also left behind the Bible and the Burmese language. His work has stood the test of more than 150 years. Most believers in Myanmar recognize Judson's name as the one who persevered to learn their language and culture. Enduring, persevering, all part of our walk with Christ, all part of, of finding joy and relationship with God through suffering, through difficulty. Judson, his son, said this about his dad. Suffering and success go together. If you are succeeding without suffering, it is because, because others before you have suffered. If you are suffering without succeeding, it is that others after you may succeed. I like that. I think that's a true picture of the rewards that we right now, the blessings that we right now are experiencing as we sit here and worship in this place of those who've gone before us, who have paid a price. And um, what are we going to do to carry on that legacy? What will I do to invest in the next generation? How will I make an impact for the kingdom so that there's a legacy left in my family, in my home, in my church, in my community? 
all good things to be considering, especially when we go through trials, especially when we go through suffering. And I'm not just talking about physical suffering. I'm also talking about many types. There's many types of suffering, emotional suffering. Uh, you know, there's the, 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 there's the, even the kind of suffering that I think that really we have known mostly about um, as a family and as serving in a third world country that's a, an, a, under an oppressive regime is just this on constant oppression and, uh, because of corruption and, and intimidation and, and fear uh, from the authorities and the government that would just constantly put that pressure on you. That's a type of suffering. So uh, there's many different, only, only to say that because there's many different ways we experience suffering. Um, so I want to talk to some th- about some things today that we struggle with and the choices we have to make when our journey with God takes us into hard places. Let's take a look at a couple of episodes from Peter's life, and that hopefully will highlight this interplay between struggle and choice, struggle and choice. So you, I think you have a little handout there um, with just some, some uh, thoughts and some uh, scripture texts. But the first point I want to talk about is the struggle being self-preservation and the choice we make between my interests or our interests and God's interests. The struggle, self-preservation. And what I mean is by that is the tendency for us to, when we get into a tight spot, when we get into a situation that's difficult, when we get into, when we, when we feel ourselves being attacked or we are undergoing some kind of suffering, we tend to look at ways we can protect ourselves and preserve our own lives. And there's a, Jesus had a lot to say about this, but let's go ahead and read it. Mark 8, verse 31 to 35. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So Peter's tendency was toward self-preservation because he made some assumptions here. And it's interesting, if you step back and read in this passage before, the, before this, what does Peter, Peter has this bold uh, confession of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. When Jesus says, who do people say that I am? It was Peter who stood up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Peter has this bold confession that revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was the Messiah. And then just after that, he begins to rebuke Jesus because that wasn't part of the plan, right? That wasn't 
part of it. Yes, you are the crisis. So we can have a grasp on truth, but we miss the how, right? We miss the how God wants to do it. And so we, and then we get into a situation and we begin questioning God's how. And that's exactly what Peter was doing here. He was questioning the how. No, it can't happen this way, Jesus. It can't happen this way. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, that's true, Peter. But my ways are not your ways. So it was an assumption that Peter made based on this idea that this earthly king, he would set up his earthly kingdom, and, and certainly his own followers would be shielded from, from suffering and persecution, right? That's what Peter thought. So it received a stern rebuke from Jesus, actually, because that was all about Jesus' mission, right? His mission was to go to the cross. His mission was to suffer and pay the price. So think, think of where you're at. Think of a situation. I've been thinking of some in my own life, trials that have caught me by surprise or difficulties. We thought we know, we think we know God's plan. We think we know who God is, right? And then he throws something new at us, or then life throws something new at us. And the unexplained pain and hardship come our way and exposes our tendency to choose self-preservation over God's ways. We begin to, to, to look at how, how, can I, how can I preserve my life and get out of this situation. And, and we miss, we miss the teachable moments. We miss the things that God wants to do. So I'm, what mistaken assumptions about God and his ways do I need to face and forsake today? What are those mistaken assumptions, those things that just, you know, I think, I thought you should have, would have done it this way, God, and now I'm disillusioned because I see this in front of me. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So difficulty, pain, suffering, it forces us to face our mistaken assumptions about God and his ways. We may question, and God's not afraid of the questions. We may even, like Peter, have gone through, or maybe you're going through, a season of denial. God's not afraid of that either. And God, God wants to meet you just like he met Peter on the shore and restore and forgive and heal. So just, just like Peter, restoration and right thinking, a perspective shift, it's all possible with God. So Jesus' words uh, are not only for Peter today. They're for me. They're for you. And when the way gets hard, we're tempted to, to kind of, you know, we're wavering between two choices. One that embraces God's will first and foremost, or one that puts my own self-interest first as a priority. What do we do with that choice? 
What are those mere human concerns? Jesus said, you don't, you know, you, you have in mind not, you just merely human concerns, not the concerns of God. And what are those human concerns which may be obstructing your view of God? What could be gained by losing them? I'll tell you one of the things, you know, we are just natural kind of, when something, when opposition comes or trials come or pain comes, we are just kind of naturally wired to, to kick into survival mode, aren't we? That's just the way we do it. And surviving, that's part of how God made us, yeah. And yet we can lean toward a survival mode that just, just focuses on our own efforts and resources and strength, and we can forget, or we tend to forget what God wants to do in the process and how we can lean into him through those times and gain and and let our and allow our we miss we don't waste suffering i guess is that best way you could say it let's not waste suffering <laughs> you know let's let's actually lean into god and learn what he has learn what he has for us is my mic going out or are we okay are we okay i feel i heard a little weird thing there but okay um yeah what are god's interests have you asked him? Are you stopping to listen? So that's the first struggle. Um, this struggle of self-preservation and, and the choice that I have between my interests and God's interests. I know that this whole, going back to the survival mode, in, the, in our context where we lived for 16 years in Tajikistan, third world country, Everything was in shambles, the whole infrastructure because of civil war. Everything was operating on uh, temporary fixes, patches, you know, like anything you needed to fix it, whether it was your heater in your house or your car or whatever, anything had to be fixed, but you could only find you, the, the resources were so limited. So almost, it, it, there was always something breaking and always a struggle to get it fixed. And then once you got that fixed, it was temporary, and the next thing would break or go wrong. And so there's this constant, you know, kind of survival mode. I would get into these times of just surviving, saying, how, Lord, can I make get through this day, make sure nothing, nothing else breaks, my family is safe because we're going through civil war here, and just survive. And... And, and I must confess, I had, I'm sure I missed some great moments of being forged, allowing God to forge me in the fires, so to speak, you know, and really t show, teaching me his character. I hope I've learned a few things along the way, but I think sometimes I just got into that mode. And we can easily get into that mode of survival without leaning into God and, 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 and just saying, Holy Spirit, what do you have you're my teacher. You're my guide. Show me in this moment what it is you want to give me. Your joy, your peace, your strength, insight. Do you want me to come alongside someone else who's suffering? The struggle is the, that choice. The second struggle I want to talk about is who's in control. And uh, the choice that goes along with that is independence or God dependence. Who's in control? We would like to think we are. Um, at times, we would hope that God is, and we don't. But we don't necessarily. 
when we look at external circumstances, we, we question that. So who's in control? And um, how am I going to respond to that? So fast forward over to John chapter 21, and this is Jesus' post-resurrection appearance to his disciples. So now we have the resurrected Lord Jesus who is appearing to his disciples as they go out to fish. Peter said um, to the other disciples, I'm going out to fish. And, you know, when you don't know what to do, go back to what you know, right? And so... Uh, he was going out to fish, and the disciples said, that's a good idea. Let's go do it. And so they spend all night fishing, don't catch a thing. Does this sound familiar? And Jesus calls to them from the shore, and we know the story, and Peter jumps out of the boat. He, has a, he, he says, it's Jesus. I know it's him. And he jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. The other disciples tag along in the boat, and Jesus has breakfast there on the shore for them, cooking up some breakfast. Wouldn't you like to be served breakfast by the resurrected Lord Jesus? Wow, <laughs> incredible. You know, he never stops serving. You know, it's just incredible what Jesus, you know, he, he's the resurrected king of glory. And here he is with his disciples on the shore serving them breakfast. And, uh, I don't know. I think fast. So let's let's just look at this. When they'd finished, this this starts with verse 15, I believe. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Wow. Have you ever argued with God over something? I know I have. I'd rather not, God. I'd rather not go there. Not today. Not ever. Peter had a choice here. Independence or God dependence. To embrace that God truly was in control in his life, of his life or not. And the standard measurement, as we look at this passage here, the standard measurement for a life of qualified service is to love Jesus. You know, we can put a lot of human qualifications on who's eligible or who's qualified to serve. But really, Peter, as, as, as we're restored, as Jesus restores us, and brings us into relationship with God, um, the main requirement for a life of, of qualified service is to love him. Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter wasn't asked, what, well, what's your level of faith on a scale of 1 to 10? Do you feel equipped? 
How confident are you? Can you preach? Can you teach? No. He asked, do you love me? Then he went on to tell Peter, love would not only require faithful service, but sacrifice as well. And that the love that he has for Jesus would carry him through the hard times. Paul put it like this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. And just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God, it says in another version. And live a life of love. Live a life of love. There it is again. Not, he didn't say live a life of suffering. He said live a life of love. And then he said, just as Christ loved us and gave. Love, out of love comes generosity. So a life of service is a life led by love and generosity. Love of Jesus and out of deep Deep gratitude for what he's done for us. I believe that's what sustained Peter all those years. Peter got the inside scoop. You know, he, he knew he was going to die for Jesus. He knew he was going to, it wasn't going to look pretty for him down the road. And Jesus said to him, your love for me may lead you to places you'd rather not go. What's he saying to you today? If you've been a believer any length of time, you would be able to stand up here and testify that, yes, your love for Jesus has led you to places you'd rather not have gone. But it's also led you into some pretty amazing, (laughs) amazing places, right? I'm to live a life of love, but where will that lead me? Potentially, it's going to lead me to some difficult spots, but I want to be willing to go there because I know the the dividends, the rewards are great. So this whole idea, you know, knowing, what if you knew what Peter knew? You know, Peter, Peter knew. Jesus said it wasn't, he wasn't speaking symbolically or in parables peter knew he said you're you're going to be led somewhere you don't want to go someone else is going to dress you and take you to somewhere you don't want to go that was a picture of his impending martyrdom his death so what if you knew what peter knew how would you live differently and i guess in some ways we do know what peter knew right we know that there's life is can be difficult. We know we're going to experience trials and suffering. And we know that it's appointed for a man to everyone to die, to die. Now we have a hope in a future. So we're eternal beings. We have a hope in a future, but we do know in a sense what Peter knew in, in, in light of that, how will I live my life? Peter said, 
I think it, this is Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 13. This is Peter in his late, later in life speaking to, uh, writing his epistle to, to the believers. He says this, he says, uh, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. He lived his whole life knowing that one thing and that, and I will make, and he goes on to say, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. His investment was in people till the end because he knew how much he had been forgiven and how much grace was given to him after he denied Jesus and was restored. And we've all come, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've been restored from rags to riches, from this incredible, uh, from this tyranny of bondage to this great glorious freedom we have in him. And so we can live a life of love based on this gratitude, this deep gratitude for what he's done for us. So this, our new birth, we've been born again, and it brings about this ability to live and to love as Jesus loves and lives, sacrificially in humility. Um, the alternative, you know, and the alternative is making a lot of, if you, if you look at the, the church in Corinth and um, Paul, um, Paul's epistle to them, they were making a lot of noise, you know, using all the spiritual gifts and just the, you know, so we, we can go about our business doing that, making a lot of noise. But if we're not, if we're not, uh, you know, we can do ourselves more harm, harm, we can do more harm than good for the cause of Christ in practice if we're just living out of this fear and self-preservation instead of trusting and committed love. If love and the, is the basis and, and giving out of love and living out of love is, is not the foundation. Paul warned the Corinthians, and of course that's why we have 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love, the love chapter. And so, I think I'm going to uh, begin to close. If Bill, you'd like to come up and just... Uh, Want to want to say that there's a really, really, really rich, eternal hope and future for us. So I hope this has encouraged you when we talk, when we go on to these subjects of suffering and pain and things. Sometimes, uh, you know, it's it's easy to get to just kind of focus on one area. But there's in the big picture is that we have a hope and a future, and that cannot be snuffed out as we lean into God in his ways and his and trust him in his ways. So I have a couple challenges I want to share with you as um, the worship team just leads us um, in worship. And we'll just close with some worship today and then I'll leave the op. We'll just say the altar is open if you want to come and and just and just seal whatever God is speaking to you about at the altar. That's your prerogative. That's your choice. If you want special prayer, um, there'll be some prayer uh, altar workers here at the at the front to just pray with you. So, um, but consider as we go into this worship song, um, just that time to seal to seal that. It may be just you just want to seal that with God, or you or you would like prayer with someone else. But 
Are you, are you preoccupied with self-preservation and ready to follow Christ's example of sacrificial love? And what could that look like? What could it look like to follow his example, to, to, to break out of a, 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 that spirit of self-preservation and just say, Lord, I want the bigger picture and I want to invest in your kingdom. What can that look like? Could it be giving your time and your money to serve and to give in some way? Could it be going on a missions trip overseas? Could it mean stopping just to talk to that person who's different than you? I don't know what it is, what, what that thing is, but what are some ways that you can break out of that self-preservation mode? That's what I'm asking myself. And while um, the other challenge here is that I cannot ignore the fact that there might be people here who have suffered suffered and gone through, are going through pain or difficulty, um, and so while in theory, suffering should cause us to lean more into the arms of Christ, it's entirely possible to suffer out of love with Jesus. Have you suffered out of love for Jesus? And if that's you today, if those hardships and the pain have led you away from him instead of forcing you back into his arms, there is relationship as you come to the altar day, he wants to restore that relationship with you and be with you in that and abide with you to lay a table, to, to set a table before you. That's good news today. Can you say amen to that? Let's stand together in worship. And again, these, the altar is open. Thank you, Father.